All right, well, we're in Sydney today. Uh, I'm with somebody that is, it's very hard to say his last name. So I've been practicing a few times leading up to this. Uh, but we're in Sydney and I'm with Emmanuel Jordudis. There we go. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the listeners, I tried five times to get that name correct. Six. Six times. Jeez. So, so if we go back in time, actually, uh, before the podcast was uh, an audio and video podcast, it was a written podcast, which actually is stems why it was called The Rental Journal, because it was a written. And Emmanuel was actually one of our original uh, written interviews. So this is going well before the podcast even existed. So I wanted to bring you on to the podcast. And I know your story and I wanted to like share it even more because a lot's happened since we spoke last. So welcome. Absolutely. Thank you for, very much for having me. Uh, I've been following the, following the journey of it, um, you know, since I was on um, with The Ridden many years ago. Um, and it's been phenomenal, you know, to see it grow leaps and bounds and people are, are talking so much more about it now. You've had quite a lot of influential figures um, and it's just a really good listen. So I'm very appreciative to be here. Very nice. So look, I know your story. And I've, I've known how far you've come in your career uh, with Coates and then also your involvement with uh, the HRA today. But I think it would be good just to share your journey uh, with some of the people in the, in the industry just to understand like how you, how you made your career and sort of where you got to. So maybe just want to talk through how you first got into the industry. Yeah, sure. Um, it's definitely been quite the journey. Um, so I was in the middle of finishing my HSC. At the ripe age of 17 and um, like most you know 17 year olds not really sure what they want to do um, what I did know that I was looking at getting into was um, going to uni and I wanted to uh, complete a Bachelor of Commerce um, not sure on majors but I just always felt that you know business was where you know I thrived and a lot of my passion came from um, so about two weeks before uh, my HSC finished, um, my stepdad at the time, Doug Levings, um, was working for uh, National Hire in the All Light Division, and uh, he saw an opportunity come up uh, at Accounts Payable. Uh, now, I was looking at getting potentially into business, and he suggested, um, well, you know, getting into accounts in a large business like National Hire um, can show me the ropes um, on how a business operates um, and see, you know, just dip my toes in and see if that's what I'd like to do. Um, so really the rest is history from there. Um, I started with National a week after um, HSC finished. So whilst uh, all my mates were off at schoolies, I started at Co uh, National at the time. Yeah. yeah. And then just for the listeners, so National eventually merged with Coates, uh, which there's, there's a, probably a lot of people that used to work at National that are part of Coates and there's the whole Coates side. Um, but that's a pretty big jump here to go from HSC one week and then straight into work. Was that was that a conscious decision or like what, what was the sort of thought process through that? Hey, podcast listeners, chances are you either work or you own a business that sells services or rents assets. So as a high company, you're making critical equipment purchasing sales and pricing decisions every day. These can be tough decisions that can affect your profitability. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have a 360 degree view of your assets, including rental invoices, daily fleet snapshots, and sales performance? Now you can with Rouse Rental Insights. Rouse has been providing a benchmarking solution that delivers actionable, accurate, and confidential metrics to meet the needs of the construction equipment hire industry for over 20 years. So basically, to explain what that means, is that they have a benchmark of a whole lot of data set 
that you can compare to see what is your utilization, rental revenue, and cost are on various levels, your equipment type, class, make, model, whatever it might be. With over 350 global participants, Rouse collects and aggregates over $100 billion. $100 billion, let that sink in for a sec. $100 billion in equipment value on the original equipment cost basis. And on top of that, they also collect $44 billion in rental revenue annually. Better yet, they also integrate with over 45 ERP systems for direct secure data transmission. So you can get started in a matter of days. You can get started with a free trial of Rouse Rental Insights today. I'll leave a link in the description and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, so um, look, when I, uh, like with, with anything that I've always done in life, when I commit, I give 100%. And um, when they uh, said, yep, we, you know, it's the first kind of roll out of a McDonald's or, you know, the local kebab shop in Barrel that I worked for, um, you know, that I actually was... Um, you know, given the opportunity. So uh, I, when they asked me, when are you available to start? I actually put it back on them and said, when would you like me to start? Um, and they gave me the date. Uh, and I thought, great, it's my opportunity. I'm going to grab it and, and, and go with it. So uh, that's basically why I didn't want to, you know, as much as I could have, and I'm sure they would have been understanding, just said, look, if I can have a few weeks and then start. But, you know, from them giving me a date, I believe that was the initial expectation to start my professional career. So I thought I need for myself to start on a positive um, and just get into it. But did you know like how big the industry actually was? No. I feel like that's something that most yeah. people when they uh, first get involved in the industry, yes. they, they don't realize that most equipment they see on the side of the road is actually hired. Yes. And they think that the construction companies just own all that equipment. And then yep. as soon as you realize, <laughs> then you start seeing the names on the sides. Like, oh, wait a second. Yep. This industry is way bigger than what I expected it to be. Yep. Was that your experience oh, as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So when I first started, um, so it was an accounts payable role. Um, but my first uh, non-official title um, was the CFO. Okay. Yes. <laughs> People kind of raise their eyes when I say that, right? Um, I've actually got the business card to prove it. All right. National hires CFO. Okay. So... I wanted to verify this is Steve Donnelly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can. So I was in the same office with Steve too, right? And um, and, and that was quite a blessing in itself. Um, but my first three months of employment, I, I turned up basically after day two and there was a massive stack of papers taller than the filing cabinets. I had to put those papers into those cabinets. So for three months, I became the chief filing officer. Oh, I see where this is going. Yes. Okay. So the business card to prove it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, again, that was the first task they gave me. Um, and, you know, I you know, respected, you know, what the task was. I didn't question it. Um, got in, got it done. Um, so I guess at that point, I was more on the account side. Um, really did not know anything from the higher aspect. Uh, and I think that's one of the beauties of the high game. Um, you know, there's so many different aspects that you can take your, your career. Um, so again, met myself starting in accounts um, within a year and a half, um, whilst I was also at uni at uh, Wollongong, um, kind of changed my major in commerce uh, to management uh, and had a bit of an epiphany one day and thought, look, uh, looked around the office and thought I'll probably have in terms of my career, better opportunity to become a manager uh, in Branchland. So uh, I moved over to um, a high controller role at the time, which is our customer service coordinator. 
um, at Alexandria. Mm. So I just want to stop you there. So, sure. so did you did you stop uni at that point as well and focus on your career at, at National? No. Okay, so you still I, continued university? Correct. So at that point, I was living in Wollongong, studying in Wollongong, and was working at the time it was a mascot. Um, and then when I moved to the branch, um, it was Alexandria. Okay. Yes. And then you finished your degree, did you? No. So I ended up um, I ended up going part-time uni and dragging out subject by subject, stretching, living in Wollongong, working yeah. up in um, up in Alexandria. Um, now, two days before my 21st birthday, I got promoted to the youngest ever branch manager at Coates. Mm. So it's after the merge. There were 226 stores at the time. Um, and at that point, I was still at uni uh, and I started getting really stretched. I felt that I wasn't able to give everything to uni and I wasn't able to give everything to, you know, being a 20-year-old manager. Mm. Um, so I put the uni on hold as I felt I can return to that. But my opportunity right now is, you know, managing, uh, you know, a, a small team um, at this young age. Yeah. So, yeah, I ended up putting um, a hold on that. Um, but then over the years um, through other, um, you know, diplomas and such, um, you know, the, the company did um, assist me in uh, attaining um, a lot of qualifications. Yeah, because I think it's an important thing to talk about. Like university isn't the only option. Yes. Like you probably would have seen the perspective of like, wait a second, like there's an entire career path that I could sort of weasel my way through depending on, on what I'm interested in and how much effort I put in rather than like just going to university, doing the three, four years, whatever it might be, and then trying to figure out a job. Because like now you're earning money, you're a branch manager. Like I feel like a lot of people, like they don't think about that when they're finishing school and that there is opportunities to work. Like they just think that the only thing outside of university is like TAFE or trades. Mm. But there's so many different aspects that you can sort of get yourself into. And then becoming the youngest branch manager, you said, in yes, the network. Correct. 21 you said yeah so it was two days before my 21st birthday so i claim okay, i was but, 20 but okay, okay, right. i started the role when i was 21 all right so it's one of those like footy things where it's like oh I'm 16 years old playing football but really he's basically 17 yeah <laughs> that's still an amazing achievement but yeah like that's like why why do you think you got promoted to that role at such a young age um so i think uh if if anything it it come down to my enthusiasm um probably my maturity as well so one thing that I, I learned early on was don't get overly, and this is what, probably one of the things I battled with my enthusiasm, don't get overly excited or trigger happy. Uh, and, and what that kind of meant was, especially when you're young, you kind of, you learn and learn and then you're like, oh, I'm ready to be a manager, you know, I'm ready. Um, I think that there's certain timeframes that you still need to learn that whole core foundation before you can move into that next said role. So for me, it was balancing it up enthusiasm um, with patience as well. So understanding, I, I can be enthusiastic and keep learning, but I was never disheartened when opportunities were coming up and oh, I was overlooked. Um, I knew when my time was ready, I would jump. Um, and, and and that's exactly what happened. It so. wasn't very long, but... <laughs> no, it, it, look, yeah. I it wasn't like, it wasn't like you're waiting five years. Like no. You're waiting like almost two years, yeah, basically. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, and I... At the time, um, so Alexandria uh, has been the largest uh, tool and equipment store um, in Sydney for coats. So it, it's always been that branch where 
uh, you make it there, you'll make it anywhere. Um, and there's some you know, very influential people um, you know, within our business, um, within our industry um, that have managed Coates Alexandria. For me to step in to uh, the largest branch, um, the branch manager um, had, uh, his wife had a child, so he took a few months off. I actually stepped into running the backend reports to assist him without him actually asking. So I think that's where that enthusiasm kind of came in mm. to say, hey, this won't get done if anybody, if nobody does it. So I spoke to the area manager and said, look, you know, James is off. Um, you know, can I have a crack at it? And I, I think that did impress. And that, so that was Jarvie. So Jarvie was the area manager at the time. He's down, down at Donnelly. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Jarvie spent some time with me and, and, you know, showed me how to, you know, run a P&L and, and do disputes and, and, and all that stuff, which generally as a high controller, you wouldn't do. Um, so I think because I was so proactive in wanting to learn that managerial side and, I was given the opportunity with James away for a bit of time to show myself sitting in that seat. Yeah, I think so. I think showing an interest and and saying yes to more things is like a massive uh, lever to moving forward in your career. Because, mm. like, one thing that I've said this on a, like a old record, me saying this on the podcast, but like, I think something I hate is when people say that's not my job. Like, that is like mm. like. Like you're basically just stunting your career growth, yeah. Yes. As soon as you do that, like people are going to judge you. Like yes. people are going to be like, "Why would I want to promote that person if they're yeah. just going to like want to sit in their box and just yeah. and do their job?" Which you want some of those people sometimes. You want those people just to grind out and do their job. But then you also want to find out like, who are the people that want to make a difference mm. and make a name for themselves in the industry and whatnot. So, like you doing that, I think like obviously then like made waves internally it was like, "Oh, this guy's actually showing an interest and whatnot." I think the stuff that you got to be careful of is like if you're helping out someone, you don't make them feel like you're trying to take their job because yes. then they get threatened. They're like, wait a second, why yes. are you doing my job? Yeah. But obviously it worked out very well for you. So, and then you're helping mm. him in a time where he was obviously under a lot of pressure having a kid. Yeah, absolutely. And, and probably on the back of that. So when he did return um, and then he had to take more time off, all of a sudden I kind of became his two IC. Mm. You know, like informally, um, the team would look up to me. I would run the pre-starts, you know. I, they, they, you know, so it kind of naturally progressed. Um, and then I actually asked him, um, you know, a few months later when he took some more time off for personal reasons, um, can you make it known to the team that, you know, for anything needed, um, that they come to myself, you know. So I felt that that had to be announced. Um, although it was kind of there, it was almost then him, like formalizing yeah, formalizing it. it, and he did. Um, and uh, look, over the, over the time, I, I managed to gain you know uh, a lot of respect from from the from the older guys. Um, and I think that was a challenge within itself. Mm. Um, you know, starting off as a you know twenty one year old manager, managing you know you know talking seventeen years ago, sixteen years ago, um, you know people that were three times my age, um, absolutely came with its challenges. Yeah. So talk to me about that because obviously straight away they're like, what does this young whippersnapper know? Like I've done this for twenty years already. How? Why is he telling me what I need to do? Like, how did you sort of manage in that that path? Yeah, absolutely. So, a lot of it came down to empathy, right? So, really, just un, uh, empathy from me, but also making communicating with them and making them understand, you know, what would happen if you were in my shoes. So, there was one particular example where um, there was a, a, a driver who um, you know, said at the end of the day, oh, he's a delivery, you know, can you do this on your way home? And he uh, basically said that, um, no, I don't need to listen to you. My granddaughter's older than you. Uh, so I kind of 
That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bit of a punch in the face, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I, I took a few seconds and my response was almost word for word because I feel like it was a really pivotal role, you know, time in my, my life um, was, well, that's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, you, your role is to drive. My role is to orchestrate deliveries and, and manage the team. If you don't want to drive, then you can come and sit here, give me the keys, I'll jump in the truck. But then you're going to have to manage time cards, you're going to have to manage this, you're going to have to be here at seven, you have to leave at, you know, whatever time, um, because that is my role. So if you're saying that you don't need to listen to me, then you can hand me those keys. Mm. Um, the next day, I bought in a caramel latte for me, which was my coffee of choice at the time, uh, and apologized. Nice. So I think, you know, and, and that came down to me, you know, explaining, you know, well, this, it's just communicating, this is my role, this is your role. Um, but it did come with its challenges. But from there, um, I did start to really shift um, a lot of respect. Um, and when we're talking about saying yes, right? So being a people pleaser, um, it's, it's easy for me to say yes to everything. And one thing that um, I did learn quite quickly to gain respect, I always thought saying yes to everyone is the best way to get on their good side. Um, that's far from the truth, you know. Yeah, it's definitely is a line. There's, there's, a, yep. there's, there's a, there's, and I was trying to explain this to someone the other day. It's like that, like if you just say like to get ahead in your career, you got to say yes to more stuff. Like that is partly true, but then like you need to figure out like if, if what is the actual goal? Like, did you want to learn more about the way that we service equipment? Mm. Yes, it's. Oh, can you uh, go refuel the equipment? Blah blah blah. Like it's like, then that yes is a different. Like you're what you're wanting to learn yeah. rather than just doing stuff because people are asking you to do it. So yeah. it's it's really a balance because if you do fall into that trap where you are a, a yes man and you're just trying to please everyone, yeah. like you're never going to find the end goal of happiness. Yeah, like you, it's just an endless road of saying yeses, yeah. and then you just feel the anxiety and pressure to to uphold what they've asked you to do. Definitely. And I think, you know, when we go back to, you know, managing teams and gaining respect, it is about being able, you know, being a manager, you've got to be able to make those decisions. Um, and, I mean, qualify them and back that decision up. So if it's a no, explain why. So going from that people pleaser to, yeah, you can have this day or yes, you can, you know, say no, explain why, and maybe come up with some kind of an agreement. And over time, that is how I did manage to really grow my team. And, um, and right up until today, you know, the one thing that I'm always most proud of is the team culture that I build in my teams. Um, anyone that's worked in my teams will, will say how much that they enjoy it, but it, it's a fine line between, you know, enjoying it and high performance. Mm. I do think that there is a direct correlation um, with those. Um, you know, uh, I'm not a mechanic, um, you know, but if I can keep a mechanic, you know, happy, you know, they just want to be on the tools they want to be, you know, swinging spanners and fixing machines so they can do that if they're happy and that's my job to keep them happy um and, and they will do their job and they'll do it well yeah do you have you always had like that burst of energy personality like is that always been you do you think uh, yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely so and uh and how have you navigated that because like obviously i think um like i think that's obviously helped you a lot in your career mm. to get ahead yeah but as you've got older have you, has that changed a lot? Like, I still like feel like you're super like energetic. Like, you, <laughs> like I feel like when you, if you wanted to go out for a drink, you want to have a bit of a party. Like, you're the guy that's gonna <laughs> help get the party going, but you're also the guy that can like lend a hand with advice and whatnot. So, yeah. like, how has that changed? Do you think? And like, do you 
do you see that rubbing off on people that you work with? Mm. Um, yeah, so I absolutely think uh, I have shifted uh, and channeled a lot of my energy. Um, absolutely, you know, I'm still very, you know, energetic in, in the way that I speak. I'm very passionate and enthusiastic in, you know, what I do. Um, but I do think um, the last few years in particular, I really have, um, I guess, matured into that next level in my personal and professional career. Uh, and I think part of that is channeling in a bit of that energy and excitement. Um, but at the same time, it's who I am and it's got me to where I am. So, you know, I'm not strategically changing who I am for, for the sake of it. Mm. It's um, it's a lot of learnings as well. Yeah. And I think having yeah. a child... Well, absolutely. Puts you know, pressure at home and then yeah. like, like things can't always be perfect and happy. Like you, you can't always mm. have like a, a, like a facade on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like that's what comes with that personality in a way. Like, everyone's yeah. like, damn, yeah. Manuel's so happy all the yeah. time. You know what I mean? Like, yes. and then as to- as you mature, you realize yeah. that, like, that, that just wears down on you as well. So, like, I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see how that changes. Cause, like, me looking on the outside, like, even just like reading like what you wrote mm. uh, on the, the rental journal, written interview, and then seeing what you're doing today, yes. there's a clear career, career trajectory. Yes. And so I, I, there's a bit of a blueprint there, I think, for other people in the industry to try and follow. Yeah. Same as Tom Wood, same as Michael Larson, and there's a whole bunch of other people that are yes. in a similar category. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, you know a, a big change and shift was um, when I did have my son Thomas as well. So uh, I, I definitely feel that um, everything that I now do has really been revolving around him. Um, and I think that's um, really challenged the way that I uh, present myself. Um, and also as we continue, um, you know, with where I'm now in my career, um, you know, I do have so much to offer and, and so much to give back to, you know, the industry and, and to, you know, and to my company. So um, being able to, um, you know, express and provide that um, kind of comes in different in different waves of energy i guess and so the listeners are probably like yeah but what does this guy actually do at coats like they're probably asking right now (laughs) we're talking about his career but so if we fast forward to today it's like what is your actual role today at coats yep so um currently i am the national operations center manager um that's a long business card name that one oh it's almost (laughs) as long as my name (laughs) um so we do have an acronym for it the NOC. Okay, so it's uh, I was very, very fortunate to be given the opportunity to establish a division from nothing this time last year in Coates. Um, an absolute phenomenal opportunity, you know, to be presented. Um, you know, there's a, there's a new division that we want to start in, you know, a, a large company like Coates. Um, and we want you to to lead it. Uh, so th- that in itself has been, you know, absolutely a big step forward in my career. Um, but what is the knock uh, and what is it that I'm establishing? Uh, so the National Operations Centre uh, has basically come to life uh, looking at um, different, uh, I guess, customer bases um, that our customer service centres uh, across Australia look at. Um, and... Uh, looking at what can we look at centralizing um, to get more consistency for our customer base. Uh, currently, we have two divisions in the NOC. Uh, one of them is a sales team um, that looks after a national footprint. 
uh, and the second team uh, looks after all of our online inquiries uh, that come through, including uh, any orders for our national agreement with Bunnings. So you can now go to any Bunnings in Australia and hire gear through Coates. Uh, each one of those hires uh, is basically orchestrated and fulfilled through my team in Mascot. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So two I'm, I'm going to go down on a tangent on that in a second. But okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm very interested to talk about that. Yeah. So yeah, for me, you know, with all that branch experience over the years, managing leading teams, um, I've now started a, a brand new division um, that has a sales team, an operational team, um, and a lot of another, a lot of really cool additional functions that'll be coming through um, in the next twelve months. Mm. Uh, so. So maybe just briefly, like what, what is the agreement with Bunnings and Coates essentially? Yeah, so um, it, it's basically a partnership um, where you can go to any Bunnings um, across Australia now and hire um, a selection of 26 different product types um, through Coates. Um, so uh, I guess the idea is you're at Bunnings on you know whatever day and uh, you go and buy a few bits and pieces, um, but there's um, you know something, whether it's a scissor um, or a floor grinder, that you may need, uh, you can go up to the high shop, uh, you can place the order, either head to a coat store and collect it, or it can be arranged for delivery um, for, you know, when you'd like it. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it is exciting. Uh, Bunnings have uh, released a bunch of online um, marketing through uh, radios, online radio, digital radio, I've heard it on AM, um, promoting the partnership. So it's definitely exciting there. Um, and we've taken quite a few learnings um, away as well. So um, it's still quite new in the relationship. And uh, we're actually now trialing um, in four Bunnings warehouses uh, equipment that is in the warehouses. So one in uh, Brizzy and a couple in Victoria. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a massive opportunity. You probably just need to figure out like how do you, how do you get the, the higher experience in a Bunnings store like that's i think the big the biggest challenge i'm trying to figure that out but i've said this for a long time it's like whoever can nail like you just got to look at home depot home depot is i think they're the third largest rental company in the Mm. u.s now yep and like they're basically a replica of bunnings but just obviously much much larger so i think if coats can navigate that bunnings relationship well and make it more public and make the this the experience seamless so you can walk in and talk to someone that understands the equipment and whatnot It'll be a very, very interesting uh, process when they start to compete with like, because if, if you're going to buy stuff, you can also rent stuff at the same time. Yeah. But I think it's, it's going to be a journey. Like it's not going to work from day one. Like it's going to be a journey and I think Coach needs to put a lot of effort into figuring out what's working, what isn't. And it sounds like you guys are on, on the path by putting equipment in there. It's probably stage one. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a, a partnership, you know, with any partnership. So, you know, there's two sides to it. And, um, you know, I think uh, we need to, um, just keep the finger on the pulse and work together. And, and you know, as we are, uh, we're learning, um, we are pivoting and shifting to any of those findings as well. So stay tuned. That's it. So, so I want to talk about the Higher Rental Industry Association, HRIA. Yes. So what's your involvement and how, like, how's your involvement evolved over time? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I've been very, very blessed with um, the opportunities that presented themselves um, within the, the HRIA. So currently, I am the um, New South Wales um, president and, and sit on the board, uh, which is really exciting for me. Um, and in terms of what we spoke about earlier, you know, with, you know, my enthusiasm and that energy, um, you know, sitting in board meetings, um, you know, uh, sometimes it's 
uh, you know, to kind of channel some of that energy. Um, and then that's with that maturity, you know. So all these experiences have really led um, into shaping uh, the way that I carry myself um, today. But in 2018, I attended Higher 18. Uh, and in the morning, there was a, uh, a chat. It was like a president's chat. And uh, on the front, um, so it was a massive um, big stage. And on the stage was Mark Burden, uh, Andy Kennard, and a whole bunch of other industry leaders and, and you know, owners. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, like I've been part of, you know, Coates and, and National and, and really had my focus, you know, on, on what we're doing. And to sit there and see leaders across competing companies um, be mates, you know, as we share the same challenges, you know, share the, the you know, same winnings and, you know, we at the end of the day, work together. We want to be able to provide higher solutions to our customers, ultimately. Um, and it, it just blew my mind away. Never did I think I'd see, you know, all just having a good old chat and, you know, and having a bite to eat at lunch. And I thought, you know what? I'm setting a goal to be sitting up there one day with those leaders. That is my ambition. You know, just keep growing my professional career and, and one day I will be up there. Um, so that was really, really cool. And um, the following year, in 2019, um, the HIA piloted the young professionals. Uh, so I applied and was fortunate enough to be selected for the pilot program, um, where I first uh, officially met uh, James, the CEO, and um, you know some of the national office. Um, and, and that was um, quite a good learning too. That's where I uh, first got, um, I guess, paired up with uh, my mentor, um, so uh, Jason Lagua. Um, and it was really, really good for me to, I guess, to grow. Um, again, both professionally and personally. Um, and for me, the key in anything is networking. You know, I managed to network so well um, within the, the YPN that year. Um, and was fortunate enough from there um, to be selected um, in the, um, the American Rental Association magazine as one of the top 10 uh, managers to watch under 40 in the world. Mm. So I thought that was awesome. And that was an opportunity that came from the HIA. Yeah, nice. Um, and from there, I just on my own accord started attending some meetings, you know, any of the state meetings. Um, I just attended uh, the local ones. Some that were, you know, wherever they may have been, up at the Central Coast and wherever. But, uh, yeah, so last year I was um, given a phenomenal opportunity and I was actually um, nominated um, and presented, um, the, yeah, to be the president for New South Wales. I feel like you've just, like, hit a lot of milestones in a, like, in a relatively short span of time, yeah? Um, yeah. It'd be interesting to see how that trajectory keeps going. Just, yes. like... You know, in like, uh, what is like, what's the analogy? It's like, how much money is enough money? And it's like, you can never like, some people just can't stop. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't stop. And it's the same thing with like, like career, yeah? Yeah. Like, I feel like you could just keep going as hard as you want. Like, wh like where do you, like, if you went forward another 10 years, like, what do you, like, what, what's that next? You said that you, you went on stage and you saw, I want to be like, someone like that. Like, forward yeah. 10 years from now, like, what do you, do you have any ambitions, like goals that you want to? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, part of my growth and development, when I go back to a bit earlier, I mentioned um, you need to be patient, right? So I, I thoroughly believe to be successful, you need to just keep being that sponge and learning and asking questions, but being a patient as well. 
Um, so for me, I believe that the sweet spot is between three to five years in any role. Every role I've taken since the CFO, um, I um, would learn for three years. I would learn it inside out and know those foundations. And at that third year mark, I'd make sure that it was at a better place than it was when I first started. So then always left a role, a branch, a position better than what I started in. And then the next two years was getting myself out there for what's the next step. Mm. So that three to five year mark, I believe is that sweet spot. After five years, I believe you can become complacent. You blink and you've been in the role for 10, 15 years. Mm. And that's absolutely fine. But for me, I want to keep growing. Yeah. So we're talking 10 years from now. Uh, I do see myself... Um, you know, being on an executive level. Um, I'm still 35, so um, still quite young. Um, but yeah, absolutely, that's my, my goal is to be um, sitting, you know, in an executive position, um, however that may look. Um, but again, that three to five year mark right now, establishing a business within Coates, um, big opportunity. It's been one year now, so I'm still committing, you know, to getting this up and running and leaving it, again, better than when I started. So the fact mm. that it started from nothing, um, it's, it's a great opportunity. So, yeah. And I think because of my professional career wanting to step into more of the executive role, the opportunity with the HIA to sit on the board um, and, and learn a lot of the, you know, um, ins and outs around that is really helping me progress um, through experience again um, to become an executive. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to timestamp this and then we'll do another interview in five years, mate. <laughs> yes, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Oh, no, that's good, mate. I, I'm very happy for you. Yeah, thank um, you. Like it's, uh, I, I enjoy watching people's careers progress and whatnot. Uh, and Coates is a beast in itself. Yeah, like there's so much opportunities. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure like the trajectory, you're on, the trajectory that you're on at the moment, I'm sure whatever you set your mind to, I think you, you'll achieve so yeah appreciate that yeah the balance but i think is uh, if you flip the other side uh, i'm not sure if you were in the um we yeah you would have been in that meeting and uh the young professional network when someone asked me like hey what's the most common topics that people bring up on the podcast were, mm. were you in that? And like, yes i was yes yeah and like i brought up a few things but like one thing that people bring up frequently at an executive level mm. is that like they regret not spending as much time with their family. Like they've been so gun ho on like building this business or career or whatever it is. And then they get to 45, 50 mm. and their kids are kind of grown up and it's like, uh, kind of, I can't get that time back. Yeah. So I'm really like trying to stay mindful of that. And it's like, cause you can't like once, once they get old, like they grow up and mm. not kids anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. even like, like your son's three, uh, yeah, my, Com coming up. Yeah, three. Yeah, my son's like he's two today. Actually, it's his birthday. Oh, today. Well, there you go. Happy there birthday! Go. Happy birthday, Joshua! <laughs> Happy birthday, Joshua! <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's I don't know. I would mm. just say that like like you don't need any advice in your career, but I think like that would be something that I would try and keep mindful of. Yeah, and I think um, in terms of motivation, um, you know, we've got it, it's all about my son now. You know, I want to first of all be. You know, it's cliche, but being a father now, you want to be a role model. You want to be the best that you can for them to look up to and learn. Secondly, provide for the family. But then there's that fine line of what you're saying with time, right? So mm. I think there's that third lever and there's a quote from Bruce Lee, right? All right, <laughs> man, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Dear. 
Um, so uh, the, the quote was something along the lines of, um, you know, you, your children aren't going to remember all the shiny toys and things that you bought them. They're going to remember the times that you weren't there or the times that you were. So for me, it is that balance of role modeling, providing and being there. So it is that work-life balance and it is finding that sweet spot. No, I definitely I completely agree. Yeah. I think I think it was kind of sad, but like hearing that from some of these executives, like they were so honest in saying that. Yeah, because um, yeah, it's it's something you can't get back yet. I when I was in that room, and that took me as well. I was not expecting you to say that. You know, like I don't think anyone was. No, nah, but like yeah. I was like, look at it live. I'm like this, is the truth. Like, it was great. To, uh, it was great to hear. Um, and I think it was a reality check as well for especially, you know, probably because there was probably some people in that room that probably feel that way as well. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think you had a few heads nodding and shaking. And, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Stop being a downer. And yeah. we'll, uh, <laughs> Did you want another joke? No, 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 no. Um, so maybe you just want to talk about like people that have been a big influence on in you from a mentor perspective. Yeah, definitely. For me with, um, you know, with mentors, um, it doesn't have to be industry specific. You know, there's so many transferable skills that you get, um, you know, from people's experiences. And it really is, you know, there's only so much that a book can give you. Um, you know, having a mentor and being able to challenge what you might hear or read or, you know, ask the whys um, does go a really long way. And uh, Jason Legue is another really solid mentor of mine. So when we talk about the transition of, you know, how's my, you know, um, I guess, let's call it persona, shifted since three years ago. It's around the time that I did the young professionals. It's about the time that I moved from a branch manager's role into a state-based sales role um, running the contact center. Um, and that's, again, when I had Jason as um, a mentor. So I would reach out to Jason very regularly. And it was really good to have someone who was not directly in the industry, and, you know, could provide a completely um, transparent lens from a third party. So I think that has really helped me in being able to lean on him and, you know, a whole bunch of others as well. So some people within code, some within the industry and some out of the industry. So I just think it's really having um, a lot of those mentors um, around you and being able to know um, who, who to ask for what. Mm. yeah he's a pretty good mentor jason he's been around yep. the block a few times yes, yes and he has a pretty good idea of what codes do as well so, yes definitely um so he can probably talk like even if you have process questions he's pretty good at yeah probably depicting like what his advice would be and yeah and career path and yeah i think it yeah. is important having like even if you're not part of a young professional yep. network like knowing that you should actively mm. try and find people that you can like bounce ideas off yeah and whatnot because it's, it's a pretty lonely career if you don't actually like yeah. do that sort of stuff, yeah? Like you just go to yeah. work and go home, go to work and go home. You think yeah. that you just, that's your job. Like you yeah. should like look up to people and find out yeah. like how did that person get to where they are? What, yeah. what, what questions can I ask? And because that person was you one day yeah, and they went through the same challenges. So you may as well like tap in and try and get a bit of a head start and yeah. whatnot. And, that's ex and to be honest, um, that's what I've been doing for many years. So as I meet, um, you know, CEOs, um, you know, executives, CFOs, um, CFOs right? <laughs> my buddies, CFOs, um, business owners. Um, I always am interested and ask them, how did you get to where you are? You know, and um, when I, I first joined the HIA, I would sit down um, on the table, start at one end and, and ask those questions, right? Want to know their, their, their story, their journey. How did they get to where they are? Um, 
and also because you know I, I do like reading books is also ask them you know what books are they currently reading so it's always good for me to go away and, and you know just keep building my little library um, but absolutely I've been doing that probably from about that 2018 2019 mark so I think when I started um, really growing um, it was asking those questions and I think as well something to mention is um, the label around a mentor um, you know you don't actually need to have a labeled relationship to say, hey, you're my mentor. Mm-hmm. A lot of my managers, um, you know, and, and senior managers over the years have also mentored me. Um, and it's just purely from asking those questions. Yeah, so it's organically. Just it happens. is. It's, it's organic, you know. And I know, you know, I've had, had some, like uh, Brian Campbell really helped me um, through my branch manager career. Um, and, you know, he just knew I could call him uh, whenever I needed any assistance, even if it was just to have a chat. Um, and he kind of just, he'd guide me. He really just guided me. So he was my direct manager, but I'd call him more of a mentor than I would a manager. Because mm. those mentors, like they, they enjoy watching people succeed. Mm. They get a kick out of it. Like they're like, oh, that's, Absolutely. that's my, uh, that's my, like I helped them in that career. And like, yes. In the end, like the mentee, it's their responsibility. Like yep. they need to do it. But like, yeah. People love like seeing people succeed and, and being playing that tiny little part in, mm. in making up like whatever the formula is for them to be successful. So definitely don't think that people don't want to like help out because they definitely do. Yeah. And, and something that um, I guess I'm proud of is um, there's at least six names I can, you know, rattle off of, um, you know, high controllers or sales coordinators that um, I trained into managers um, or into the next role that they wanted um, within uh, coats um, or um, in what, what company they may be in now. So that's that's something that, that I'm really proud of. You know, it really is that I'll sit down with all my individuals and that personal development plan and then mentoring them and training and coaching them to that next level, mm. giving them kind of additional tasks to help them grow. Yeah. Um, and I'm yeah, really proud that, you know, I'm able to you know help mentor um, people um, within coats and within our industry. And then that answer probably ties directly into my next question, which was going to be how do you define success, which I guess is kind of wrapped up in some of that answer, I'd say. Yeah, so I think success, um, it, look, for me, it's happiness, but it's also self-satisfaction. So, you know, you set goals, doesn't matter how big they are, right? Um, so right now I'm reading um, Atomic Habits. Um, you know, it's a great book. Um, and it is just about setting those, those small steps, right? So each time you tick that box, it's success. All right, so I just think, what what do you label success? What does it look like? Um, it's happiness and it's that self-satisfaction. You know, when I see the managers coming up from under me now um, and doing really well, seeing their, their name here and there, um, I, I feel that, you know, that I'm doing something right, being able to give back and, and share what I'm learning. And in turn, you know, I'm part of the um, the mentor program with yourself now. Um, we're, we're getting as much out of it as the mentees, you know, whether it's from the, the mentors having a chat um, or just from the mentees with the questions that they're asking or the way they're thinking. So we're ever evolving and learning as well. Mm, definitely. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. All right, mate. Well, thank you for coming to the podcast. And uh, you're one of the guests that I'm going to talk to all the time anyway. <laughs> but uh, I really wanted to get your story out there because I think you've got a pretty cool one. Yes. And, um, and good luck with uh, that, that 10 years, mate, that <laughs> next podcast. Yeah, time spent <laughs> this episode, mate. Um, no, look, I just wanted to say um, thank you very much to, to you and the team for, for having me on. Um, you know, we have been speaking quite a bit and I've been following it, um, you know, since it's gone from the, you know, the original, um, let's almost paper-based one um, through to now. So, you know, I think you guys are doing an absolute phenomenal job and I think watch this space for yourself as well, Mark. Yeah, very good. All yes. right, thank you again. Right. Thank you, mate.